Hey, Chapel Street Church. I'm excited to talk to you about something called Rooted. Some of you already know about Rooted. It's been part of our church for a number of years now. Uh, several years ago, we were thinking and praying about, if you ask the average person who's part of Chapel Street what's next in their spiritual journey, we had a thousand different answers. And we felt like we needed one clear next step. And that's what Rooted has become. It's a 10-week journey through the gospel and scripture built around experiences. That's what makes it unique. It's not just study and filling in the blank answers. It's built around experiences through 10 weeks in community. There's a serve experience, there's a prayer experience, and these things combined in community help change people's lives. I've talked to many of you who have been deeply impacted by Rooted. Uh, some of you who are mature believers might be thinking, well, this is I've already passed this. Not so. It's for you. If you're a brand new believer, it's for you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're looking for the next step in your life with Christ in our community of faith, Rooted is exactly for you. We encourage you to take part in it. There's a new round of Rooted groups launching very soon. In, in fact, I've talked to so many people. One individual just recently who's been through it three times that every time they learn something new. So I want to encourage you. If you call Chapel Street your home and you're feeling like God is moving you to take a next step in your faith in the new year, get involved in a Rooted group. Don't take my word for it. We want you to hear from those who've been part of it. This is our second time through Rooted. You probably learn more going through it with another group of people and uh, seeing new members of this new campus share their experiences, share their testimonies, growing in their faith. It's been my first Bible study, probably going to uh, change my opinion of future Bible studies just because it is so unique, so different. It's really reminded me that you know, you're loved for who you are. There's nothing you need to do in order to get that love. As I reflect back at significant moments in my Christian life, I had no idea Rooted would become so impactful. I've gained eight new deep relationships with people who were relatively strangers a few weeks before. Every week that I'm learning more and more, honestly blowing my mind as a philosophy nerd and just a science nerd, it's the coolest thing to realize that we get to have a personal relationship with the Lord of the universe. Well, if I can add my own uh, encouragements to that, I, I'm a big fan of Rooted. Um, it, I, it's been so instrumental for us, especially at North Aurora in these first, uh, this first year, to have Rooted groups going. It's a great way for people to connect in community with each other. Uh, it's about a 10-week program, and it's going to start on September 11th, uh, and the cost is $20 to sign up. If you have any inclination, any curiosity at all, I would really encourage you to jump in because God will use this uh, to do some really special things in your life. Well, we are, uh, we've got two weeks left in our current series of By Faith. Uh, we're looking at a few more after this, but uh, each week we have been traveling through what is kind of typically called in the Bible the Hall of Faith. Uh, this list of various people throughout the story of God who've done incredible things, and each of them have a story that just seems more spectacular than the last. Uh, but So it's got me thinking as we've been traveling through, what makes a really good story? What makes a story that is engaging and exciting and interesting? Uh, and maybe for you, you kind of uh, stick to the classics, something like To Kill a Mockingbird, really great story about amazing things that happen uh, and uh, the way that these two little children kind of change the relationship with Boo Radley, things like that. Maybe you're more of a nerd like me and you're into the Avengers movies and sci-fi and Lord of the Rings and everything like that. My little boys are starting to be interested in Harry Potter, and so we've been talking about that. But there is one story that my whole life has stood out as maybe the greatest cinematic story ever told. 
And it's this one right here, Forrest Gump. I love Forrest Gump. No one can convince me that this is not the best movie ever made. Even all of my love for Star Wars and, and superheroes and everything aside, this is the movie that I would take with me to a desert island. Because it's so interesting seeing this guy that no one expected very much of. Seems to in every decade of his life, he does these spectacular things. He has a story that no one ever expected, right? No matter where he goes, no matter what circumstances are going on in his life, it seems that he has a story that no one expected. And the character that we're going to look at in Hebrews today is someone a little bit like that. Someone whose story doesn't fit with what's expected. Someone through whom God does some pretty spectacular stuff, and no one would have guessed it. And this is a woman called Rahab. This is what Hebrews 11.31 says. It says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Here's one I want us to consider today, that biblical faith is the means by which God rewrites our stories. Faith is the means by which God rewrites our stories. I want you to remember the Hebrews who were reading this letter, the letter of Hebrews, they were people struggling with their faith, and perhaps they needed to hear about a God who could rewrite stories. Perhaps they were people who needed to be reminded that faith writes better stories than fear. And so the author tells them about Rahab. And this morning, I want us to examine ourselves and ask, who's authoring our story? And see that in Rahab, we find three ways in which we are encouraged to have faith. To have faith in our pursuer, to have faith in our protector, and to have faith in our provider. So let's go ahead and take a look at faith in the pursuer. Now, as we get into this, I, I was studying this week, and I came across a story that I had to share with you, a story that blew me away. I was looking at different ways in which we, we kind of ascribe value to things, things like that, and I came across the story of a Filipino fisherman who made an amazing discovery off the coast of Palawan Island. He found a giant rock, looks like this, uh, in the ocean when he was fishing. Um, he didn't know what it was, so he took it home, and for 10 years, he kept it under his bed as a good luck charm. It was 75 pounds uh, and was 12 inches in width, 26 inches in length, and it um, was valued at $100 million. This is the largest pearl ever discovered. But this fisherman didn't know it. He kept it under his bed for 10 years. It wasn't until his home bent down that someone asked him and it was evaluated as part of figuring out all the damage done to his house that he discovered that for 10 years he had been sitting on something worth 100 million US dollars. See, God finds value in unexpected places and unexpected people. Sometimes we don't see what he sees. But it's because that God does that he is a God who pursues. He's a God who searches out. Let's read the beginning of Rahab's story. This is in Joshua 2. If we go to Joshua 2, this is what we read in verses 1 through 7. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told that the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. 
So then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Now I want to stop there. This story is a really interesting story to me. Because when you pull back for a minute and you start thinking about what's happened, what's happened before, what happens after, this is an odd moment. See, the Israelites, these people who have been uh, brought out of captivity in Egypt, they have wandered the wilderness for 40 years, they have fought with their enemies, and now God has finally brought them to the promised land. And inside the promised land live the Canaanites, various tribes of different people, all of which are known to be extremely hostile. And they come to Jericho, the most fortified city in all of Canaan. And Joshua, who is Moses' successor, he, we are told at the start of chapter 2, he sends spies into the city of Jericho to kind of figure it out. He sends them in verse 1, and by verse 2, the king already knows that they're in the city. That might be the worst spies in history. They're not very good. You know, it's also odd that they would start their campaign in Israel, or what would become Israel, by going to the strongest, most fortified city in the entire land. They haven't gone and kind of collected resources by taking out the weaker areas first. They go right for the strongest city. That's not very strategic. And what is more, this whole narrative actually is somewhat superfluous to the larger story because you could jump from chapter 1 to chapter 3 and not really have missed the bigger thing that God was doing. So why do we have chapter 2? Because of Rahab. What makes chapter 2 important in the story of God is not a strategic development. It's not the conquering of a city. It's God pursuing a woman. So who was Rahab? Well, Scripture tells us three things about Rahab. We're told this both in Hebrews and in Joshua. She was a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish ethnic uh, group. She was a woman, and she was a prostitute. Three things that to anyone of that day, especially within the Jewish people, would have made her someone of no interest at all. Even more so than just being someone that they weren't interested in, this would be the epitome of everything that they wanted to reject. Pagan Gentile belief. Women were second-class citizens of the day. Prostitutes were sinful people that should be kept away from the holy people of God. Doesn't seem like the person that God would want to go out of his way to rescue, but he does. He goes out of his way to make sure that Rahab meets his people. The God of Scripture is a God of pursuit. We don't come to him, he comes to us. This is what we're told in Romans 5, 8 and 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5, 8 says that the God shows his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you believe that the God of the universe is pursuing you, that he is searching you out. 
no matter what you've done, no matter what your background is. You know, sometimes we can convince ourselves that we must win God's attention, that we've got to have a righteous enough life, that we've got to know enough scripture, that we have got to have it all together. But that's not true. In fact, the opposite is true. Our growth in faith is because God has freely set his attention upon us. Our ability to come to him is because he has come to us. You are not invisible to God, you are not outside of his reach, and you are not beyond his affection and favor. Rahab was a woman who needed God's affection and favor. I was watching a sermon on Rahab this week, and Pastor Matt Chandler, if you've heard of him from Texas, he said this thing that really put into perspective what kind of life Rahab would have had. He said, no little girl dreams of growing up to be a prostitute. You become a prostitute because very wicked, evil, demonic, and deplorable things happen to you. You are perhaps used and abused, treated like a soulless recreational vehicle for other people's pleasure. It's easy for our attention to be drawn straight to what Rahab has done or is doing. And we forget that this is a woman created in the image of God who was broken, who had perhaps been abused in terrible ways. And God's eyes were upon her. He saw her and had compassion on her. See, brokenness is not a barrier to God's work in your life. It's the reason you need it. And so God comes to Rahab. But just like the communities of Rahab's day, we can sometimes give in to the temptation to separate off the people that are messy, untidy, difficult, sinful, and we ignore them. We convince ourselves that this is not the person through whom God's story is going to be told. These Israelite spies were not just spies. They were missionaries. I don't know how much of that they themselves understood, but when Joshua sent these spies into the city, they were not simply going to gather strategic information. And in fact, if you read chapter three, they don't gather any strategic information. All that has happened is that they meet Rahab, she saves their life, and a promise is made. They were missionaries. If you were a follower of Jesus, you are called to be on mission. God has saved you primarily not for yourself, but for the world that needs to hear of the work that he is doing in you and around you. See, we shouldn't marvel that God could love and save people like Rahab. We should marvel that God can love and save people like me. That his love and his grace and his affection would come to someone like me. God has charged us as his people to be the ones that bring his grace, his mercy, his love, his affection to those who need it. And that's why the people of God are not commended for their flawless records, for their sinlessness, but for their faith in their pursuer. But they don't just have faith in their pursuer. Rahab doesn't just have faith in a pursuer. She has faith in a protector. When I was a kid, I was... Uh, Easy pickings for the school bullies. I know I don't look it. I'm pretty intimidating, I know. But they would always kind of target me for, for whatever reason. And uh, there was a time in my life where I met someone called Big Mike. Now, Big Mike was, as his name suggests, pretty big. 
but he had the heart of a teddy bear. He was the nicest guy I ever met. And the first thing I, I discovered about Mike when I met him is that no one messed with Big Mike. And in fact, I, I kind of had a hard time understanding how he could be so intimidating to others when he was so gentle and kind to so many people. And one time I remember being with Big Mike and getting myself in a situation where there were some people who were looking to do some damage to my face. And Big Mike showed up. And as soon as Big Mike was there, the entire temperature of everybody around changed. And I thought to myself, I could get used to being friends with Big Mike. I loved the confidence that it brought my heart to know that I was friends with him, that I was connected with this guy who would, when he would walk in a room, everything would change. Rahab's found someone like that because she's heard the stories of God. In Joshua 2, she comes to the men that she was hiding, these spies that have entered the city. And as they come to lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, this is in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell us this business of ours, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. And in verse 18, they give her a very specific instruction. They tell Rahab, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all of your father's household. What impacted Rahab, what kindled her faith, was that she had the story of the God of Israel. She'd had whispers of this God who rescues slaves out of one of the most powerful nations of the day. She had these stories of a God who provided and cared for his people in the wilderness, where they had enough food and water when people shouldn't have that. And Rahab wanted to know that God. So she comes and she makes a confession of faith to these spies and she tells them what is in her heart, this faith that she has gained in their God. And there's three things in that confession of faith that we see. A confidence, a commitment, and a vulnerability. A confidence, a commitment, and a vulnerability. And I think that these three things really could be a summary of what biblical faith gives us in our heart. A confidence, a commitment, and a vulnerability. First, a confidence. Rahab, she's convinced that the God of Israel is the best place to find her hope. She tells these spies, our hearts melted when we heard of this God because he's given you everything. Clearly, he's the God of heaven and earth. Now, I want to point out to you that she lived in the largest and most fortified city in Canaan at the time, Jericho. The people of Jericho would have had utter confidence in their walls to protect them, especially from a wayward tribe of former slaves that wandered in the wilderness. 
But Rahab, Rahab confesses before the Israelites have even lifted a finger against Jericho that God's invisible protection was better than Jericho's walls. Do we live like that? Do we live with that level of confidence in the God of whom Scripture tells us that His protection is better than Jericho's walls? That His protection is better than what we can build for ourselves or the things that gives us our security? Let me ask you this morning, what makes you feel more secure in the circumstances of your life? The love of God or a full bank account? What makes you feel more grounded? The sovereignty of God or the political climate of the United States? What makes you feel safer? The grace of God or a stable career? A drama-free set of relationships around you? Where do you find your hope? What gives you your confidence? The creator or created things? God's hands or your hands. Psalm 3.3 says, You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And then Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The ground for the confidence of a Christian is that the God of heaven and earth has loved us, that he has sought us, that he has given himself for us, that there is nothing that we can travel through that can come upon us through which he can't hold us together. And what we have to do is we have to confront these parts in our own hearts where we've trusted in chariots and horses, where we've trusted in the things and circumstances of our life to protect us and to keep us. Second thing that we see in Rahab's faith is a commitment. Rahab tells these spies, I want to go with you. I want to be a part of your people. I want to leave my home and follow with you. This God that's rescued you. What Rahab's doing is she's making a commitment to these people. Think for a moment what that would have entailed for her and her life. Everything would have had to change. To join the Jewish people, to walk with them on their journey, it would have meant a loss of friends, it would have certainly meant a loss of income that she's going to have to change what she has been doing. It would mean that the rest of Jericho would look on Rahab as though she were a traitor. Perhaps even some of in her own family. And yet Rahab, in faith, in beautiful, gentle faith, says, I don't care about that. I want my commitment to be to this God. I want my devotion and my attention to be given to him. To walk with God is to make a commitment. To trust that his guidance and that his way is what brings life. So the spies, they give her these instructions on what to do so that they will know that she has chosen to be part of the people of God, that the rest of the Israelite army, when it comes into the city, will know. They say, we want you to tie a scarlet thread out of your window. And when we come into the city, we'll see the thread, we'll see that symbol, and we will pass by and you'll be saved. Now I say pass by because there was another moment in the Hebrews' history where a symbol on a doorpost indicated that those people were to be saved. 
You remember, we just talked about it. When Moses left Egypt, God told them, I want you to put the blood of a lamb on the doorpost as a symbol of your faith in me and that death will pass over you. Well, now they come to Jericho and God orchestrates it so that another woman has a symbol by her door to indicate that she's to be saved. And Rahab puts her faith in this God. She follows these instructions. Now, I must confess, I struggle in my commitment to God because I want his salvation, I want his hope, I want everything that comes with being part of the people of God, but I struggle to want to hand over control. I struggle with following everything that God's asked of me. I struggle to surrender everything that God has asked of me. When I read the story of Rahab, no matter what else is said about her, I find myself saying, do I have the faith of Rahab to so joyfully and willingly be making a commitment to give her life to the God of Israel? Perhaps there's people in my life that I know, I know God has called me to love them, to serve them, to give myself for, and I say, not them. I don't want to commit myself to them. Perhaps there's a certain way of living my life and and treating my possessions, treating those people around me that I just say to God, I don't know if I want to do it that way. But that's not what the commitment of faith is. And Rahab, Rahab shows us what a commitment of faith is. Because the last thing that we see in her faith is a vulnerability. See, Rahab risks it all. For this commitment, because of her confidence, she makes a commitment and that causes vulnerability in her life. She exposes herself to the king of Jericho, to the Israelite people. She knows what she's doing, she knows what she looks like in the eyes of everyone around her and yet she puts herself out there before the God of Israel and says, here I am. Could you love and save someone like me? That's what faith is. Faith confronts that part of us that wants to hide, that wants to cover, that wants to run away and pull back. And it says in the words of C.S. Lewis in his final Narnia book, further up, further in. True Christian community celebrates vulnerability. And it's glad to make space for people. It's glad to bring them in before the throne of grace. But if we want to create that, If we want to have that level of community of faith, we must be willing to go first. To, like Rahab, in faith, make ourselves vulnerable. To expose those parts of our heart that we've never let anyone look at. To share the things that we feel guilt and shame over. To share the things that we struggle with, that we hurt over. Don't stay at a distance from the people in your church family. Find places like Rooted where you can grow deeper in community, deeper with those around you. Share your life with them. And don't do it because of the trustworthiness of people because as we all know, and I'll be the first one to say it, I am not always trustworthy. I don't handle things well. I don't love people the way that I should. But your willingness to be vulnerable with with me and mine with you is not based on my trustworthiness. It's based on God's. It's based on Christ who gave himself, who made himself vulnerable for you. That is why we can be vulnerable. 
because we have a God who voluntarily lost for us. No matter how messy, no matter how difficult, come willing to be seen and have faith in your protector. But there's one last thing, one last thing in Rahab's life that we need to take away, and that's faith in the provider. By Joshua 6, we see the Israelites come into the city. God has worked a miracle. The wall's fallen down, something that we're also reminded of in Hebrews 11.30. And this is what we're told in verse 22. The two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go to the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all of her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua was saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spy out of Jericho. See, the fall of Jericho wasn't the end of Rahab's story. It was the beginning. By faith, by Rahab's faith, God rewrote her story and he provided her with a future. In the immediate, Rahab would never again just be the prostitute from Jericho. She went from hearing about the stories of God to participating in the stories of God. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of change I want in my life, to not just be a hearer, but to be a participant in what God is doing in the world. But it didn't end there. See, when Rahab left the city of Jericho, she didn't go by herself. Because of Rahab's faith, because of her obedience, her confidence, commitment, and vulnerability, not only Rahab, but her entire household are saved. Rahab's faith was the means by which God introduced himself, not to her, but to her entire family, her father, her mother, her brothers. Can you imagine what that might have been like for Rahab's family? Rahab, the prostitute, the one that maybe they looked on as the screw she was the means by which they were rescued. But it didn't end there. Once Rahab left the city, she would go on to have a child with a man named Salmon. And the name of that child was Boaz. You may be familiar with that name. He's a pretty important character in a book in the Bible called Ruth. The story of Ruth is the story of another Gentile woman, another woman who had been rejected by many. She was a widower, or a widow, sorry. And she came to the land of the Israelites looking for hope. And she met Boaz, the son of Rahab. Boaz marries Ruth. He protects her. He cares for her as the people of Israel had once done for his mother. And the faith of Rahab lives on. But it didn't end there. See, a few generations later, Rahab would have another famous descendant. Her great-great-grandson was a man named David. Hopefully you've heard of David. David who slew Goliath. David who became the king that united an entire nation. David who became the greatest king, in fact, in all of Israel's history. A man known for his confidence in God, his commitment to God, his vulnerability with God. Rahab's faith lives on. But it didn't end there. 
See, the full scope of the story that God wrote through Rahab, we need to go all the way to the New Testament and read Matthew chapter one. Let me just read this to you. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And for the sake of time, if we went through verse after verse, we would arrive at verse 16 that says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. It was through Rahab's line that God would one day bring his own son into the world. And the interesting thing about these ancient Near Eastern genealogies that we kind of skip through when we read through our Bibles, these were the resume by which people legitimized themselves would say, well, I'm descended from this person and this person, and so I, I'm someone of significance and value. But Jesus' genealogy, the genealogy of the Son of God says, Rahab was one of my great-great-great-great-grandmothers. This woman of faith, she belonged in my family. Jesus specifically highlights Rahab as an ancestor of importance with regards to the promise of God that this promise made to Abraham couldn't have reached Jesus without, Abraham, without Rahab. She reminds us that we never know the impact of an act of faith. So don't keep waiting to trust him. Don't keep holding back. Step towards the one who pursues you, who will protect you, who will provide for you. Who's holding the pen to your story? Is it you? Or is it God? If you find yourself longing for change, longing for a different story, then perhaps this morning, God is speaking through Rahab to you to invite you to hand over control to the one who can rewrite your story. Charles Spurgeon said, your physical eyes cannot see the bliss-filled future, so borrow the telescope of faith, wipe the misty breath of your doubts from the lens, and look through it to behold the coming glory. May we as a church family be filled with the faith of this incredible woman, with the faith of Rahab, so that through us God might write a better story, covering our sin and failings and revealing the love of his son Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your servant Rahab, for this woman who perhaps no one else saw but you did, who chose to put her faith in the one that had found her. What marvelous stories you wrote through this woman's life, stories of salvation, of hope, of transformation, and ultimately, through her, you wrote the story of your son who is most precious to us. Teach us to have that faith. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.